The two Jills, a psychologist and psychic intuitive, reveal mind-blowing insights that turn psychology, self-help, and conscious teachings on their heads. Why? Because they work. Real help, sincere growth is here. Welcome to Sight. Hey, Jill, how are you? I am good, Jill. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So we're going to talk about micromanaging today and how all-consuming that can feel to somebody's brain when they are pretending that they have more control than they actually do. So I might be getting my head, getting ahead of myself for my, <laughs> for my main themes there. But um, micromanaging, I mean, I'm a, I'm a recovering type A person. I think that you are too, yes? Definitely. Definitely. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. I love, I love type A micromanaging people because they tend to, I mean, shit tends to get done with them. Right. You know, honestly, I am amazed all the time. I have a lot of friends, you know, who work and have a household and have kids. And I am just so impressed by people who actually can do, do it all. I am not that skilled. Like I, I always say to them, I don't know how you have a full-time high power job and get all the stuff done that you get done in a day. There is a, um, I mean, just a, a beauty to it, right? It's a constant, constant in motion, not leaving any minute unused. It's impressive. When I think of micromanagers, I think of very intelligent people. And I'm not, I mean, that isn't, I'm not trying to brag here, but I think in my client work too, and my friend group, those that can manage not just like the big picture kinds of things of the big buckets of stuff that needs to get done and helping others and supporting others. They go to a really low level of like a refined level of detail that does require a really high functioning brain to even do that. Right. Um, yes. It also requires a really fast pace, right? They're thinking probably 10 steps ahead of a lot of other people. And I know as a micromanager, that can be really frustrating. I have this crazy story. I'm debating whether to tell it because I it is definitely not my not my coming out. Let's hear it. Not my most attractive side of my gel. I'm owning this. I had an internship when I was in college, and it was when I was more focused on my economics degree versus finance and then the MBA. And it was working for a government agency, um, and I had a boss that was very data oriented, and it was a very data oriented um, kind of part of the the department. And I kept thinking, God, if I had a fast forward button for this guy, I'd be so much happier because I was maybe 20 at the time and I would get, I was so discompassionate that he had a completely different rhythm, right? He was super experienced. Yeah. He was the head of that department, a very well regarded and everybody, there was a charm to him, right? But he was definitely like his, he was, I didn't know if he was thinking slow or what was going on, but I would just like. Just tell me, just tell me the answer, <laughs> you know, give me the instruction. Just tell me. And, and it was just like, it just felt so slow and sloth like, and it drove me crazy because I yeah. want, I was in a hurry to impress. I'm like, you got to hurry and give me my instructions so that I can impress you and prove to myself that I can do this stuff. So he was all slow and it drove me crazy. So me as a micromanager wasn't, I wasn't 
cognizant or as experienced with uh, different people have a different rhythm. But me as a micromanager, I wanted to also, could, I even wanted to control his rate of thinking and speech. I mean, can you get more micromanaging than that? It was my boss. This is a really good example because there are, so micromanaging is about controlling other people. There's the problematic aspect to it, right? When I was speaking about the, you know, the, the moms with the jobs and all of that, their micromanagement was managing all the micro stuff. That's different, right? They had a macro version, vision, and they had the micro of everything that needed to get done. That's precision work, okay? And it's impressive. The micromanaging of other people, that's, I think, the topic of this conversation, right? Which is, are we micromanaging out of um, a lot of times there's, there's an insecurity, but there's this additional overcompensation, which is I'm the only one who can do this, <sighs> right? So there's a lack of trust in other people, which is problematic. It's particularly, although this is not the topic for this right now, it's particularly problematic for, for parenting right? Where kids move at a slower pace, they have less knowledge, they don't see big picture, right? So if you're micromanaging in, in the office, if you're being micromanaged, you know how shitty that feels. If you're being micromanaged by your boss, the removal of autonomy, the, the disempowerment that the micromanager imposes on someone else is really demoralizing and debilitating. And it feeds into actually other people's insecurities, right? Because an insecurity begets an insecurity. It doesn't mean being better at something or quicker at something is not always the goal of where we're trying to get. It's the brain's goal. Like in your case, your example, and I'm not saying you were coming out of insecurity, but you were definitely coming out of, I need to impress. I want to impress. And I want to, I want to get to my goal of being impressive, right? So there's, you know, there's, there's justification for it, right? It's a, mm -hmm. it's a tough, whether you're the micromanager and frustrated by everybody in your field or you're being micromanaged and frustrated by the person who's micromanaging you, this is a place you don't want to be. That's right. You don't want to be at either end of this. What I, what I, you know, now know, obviously, and, and my work helps me a lot with this, is that those of us that are trying to micromanage others, we're, we're not giving another person a chance to create their way of doing things, to res for us to respect their, that they are different than us. They are their own person. Um, some are sloths, some are cheetahs. It's just the way of the world, Right. And we're also, the arrogance of it just feels in me so cringy, right? That, yes. well, I could say this faster than you can. My brain works faster than yours. There's such an arrogance in it that just, I don't, I don't like feeling that layer of my Jill, that even the simple things, right? Um, like you said, when it definitely lends itself well to a parenting conversation and my kids feeling like I could clean their room better than they can, or I can make the bed. I mean, I still do this and at our vacation place. I'm like, nobody make the beds. 
<laughs> they know because it's like because yeah. I have a certain way <laughs> that I like it done. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to redo it, and that's not. I mean, I've I've you know taken my fingers off the off the control knobs and so many things, but they're just beds. I mean, who cares? They probably appreciate it that I just want to make those beds and have right. them done the way I like the pillows. <laughs> You're, I mean, in that case, you're owning it, right? Like if you, I, I always tell people, if you want it done a certain way, do it yourself, mm-hmm. right? Don't make people conform to your way of doing something. And definitely don't go in there after somebody's cleaned something and then redo it. Like that is so rough, <laughs> you know, that is just, oh, or find Find yes. it full rude and it's, it's us not being able to manage interestingly ourselves so we manage other people, right? That's really what the micromanages. I need it done a certain way because I'm not gonna be okay if it's not done my way, or I'm gonna have to clean up the mess if it's not done my way or the right way or the first time the right way. So it's really all micromanagers should manage themselves first, right? Manage their discomfort with other people's ways of doing things, right? And you do find that there's such a relief when you stop micromanaging. It's almost like the brain is telling you you care about stuff you don't care about. So the other day, you know, my husband, he was driving... And he was, I don't know, he was just like riding on someone's ass or the guy was going too slow or something. And he's like, this guy, look at him. He's not, you know, he's managing, he's micromanaging this guy's driving by, you know. I'm like, Doug, he is not moving. He is not changing his speed. He's doing nothing different as a result of your aggression. And I'm going to be very honest with you. You don't care. You don't care. You think you do, and you don't. And he's like, I think that's right. I don't know why I thought I cared. So there's these habits in there that foster micromanaging. And I would say 90% of the stuff we don't care about. It's, it's compulsive. That's good. And uh, thank you for that. It's funny because I'm realizing I was about to get, I mean, here, I'll just say it, what I was going to say earlier. I, I can get defensive about that. No, it's not that. I mean, like, again, I was going to use the example of my husband's driving or, you know, he's, he's just not as smooth in his braking and acceleration as I am. So there's the part of my job going, but I do better. So it's not, it's not insecurity. It's not, it's not that I can't manage myself. It's that I, I'm so good at, at knowing how to do so many things. And I'm, I'm making fun of myself here, right? Because this is just, how can you not, right? But there is a part of my joke going, but I am a smoother driver than him. <laughs> right? And then you said that though, you're right. You, and then when I was listening and I was like, yeah, there's a part of me that doesn't care if I'm a better driver because <laughs> that's subjective no, anyway. What if, what if the only reason it feels less smooth is because of the seat that I'm in? That I'm not predicting when, I don't know when he's going to break. So it doesn't, it feels less smooth because I'm not the one driving and controlling the situation and my hand on the steering wheel. 
So it's all debatable anyway, but you're right. My, I, I felt my whole self just relax when you said, Doug, you don't, I don't think you care. And there is a yeah. party. I don't care. I mean, a, a bigger, wider, better version of my Jill doesn't care who, right. whether he is a smoother, whether I'm a smoother driver or not. And it doesn't, you know, yeah. Thank you. I received. So I think this is a big, I think this is like a really big area of repetitive behavior. So for instance, what ha what's happened to me, like you're kind of joking about, but I'm really good at some shit. My, I'm actually finding the same thing. There are certain things that I am just good at, right? And I call, so now in my family, I'm logistics. My brain works in logistics. I can negotiate many different balls in the air. Whereas everybody comes at me with just their ball, but I'm managing all the balls. So now all I tell them is I'm the logistics person, right? So there is, it's not actually micromanaging. It's I'm holding all the pieces. It's, we have a lot of cars, for instance, and a lot of kids and a lot of people going in different places who need cars. I'm that person. I know where every car is. I know where everybody's going. Nobody knows anybody else's plan. So I'm the hub, but I've managed to turn that into my sort of skill set, my respected skill set. When I took it out of being sort of the micromanager who was just pissing everybody off. I said, if you need something done in that regard with a car, call me. I'm logistics. I will dole it out. I will tell you where to be and where to go. And so now we've, we've ripped that right out of micromanaging and we've made it such a great, like, um, working element to our family that it's been amazing. So people don't cut into my logistics anymore. Whereas when I was micromanaging them, everybody was irritated and rebellious, even if what I was saying made sense at the time, right? So the micromanaging cuts off a lot of really functional opportunity because of the reaction that it gets from people. So I am owning what I am good at, what truthfully I like to do and can do better than everybody because I'm the one with the intel. So there is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but be, be directed about what you're good at and leave the other stuff that you don't care about alone. This is, thank you for this. And I, I'm noticing that too. So when, I think what I hear you saying, Jill, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that for those of us that do micromanage, it's probably coming from, um, <laughs> I just want to make it. <laughs> An innate greatness. <laughs> just, 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 yes. Yes. This is, this is the, the self-deprecating humor I use with my family. Like, I'm the best at making the beds. Nobody touch them. It's just to use that yes. silly But yes. If you take it, so micromanaging as a term tends to be used towards I'm going to manage others. But I think what you're saying is the other opportunity here is to recognize what you are really good at that needs to get done that other people aren't as good at. Just own it. Take that role, make it official, right? 
I'm the logistics. I love you. I love you so much. I'm logistics, right? So what's funny is that I think <laughs> this is such a dumb example of smooth driving, but I've taught everyone how to drive, right? So my kids, when they were driver's training and even before they were of age, I would just, you know, when it was appropriate and we were in a safe place, go, okay, let's see how you do. But, you know, they would drive the ATVs or on the jet skis or something like that. I taught my 12-year-old how to better manage the jet ski and okay now when you accelerate that fast the person on the back is really getting thrown around so you want to warn them you know and you know let me show you how i'm hanging on so that when you're older and somebody's riding with you they can see how you know, maybe a better way that they feel more stable when you're having fun and then they can have more fun so i just think through all of these things in a way and he was processing it was so fun to see him just kind of put into place the level of detail that i operate from and pass that off to another person, not in a you're doing it wrong or you're, you suck at this or you're shitty, you know, not that. Just, hey, you may want to think about this. You may want to think about that to help them be a better version of whatever, you know, whatever they're doing. Um, yes. So owning your strengths so that it's not, oh, get out of the way. You know, oh, you're always so horrible at this. How come you can't get it right? That's the negative version, right? That's right. The micromanaging. But you're right. And then the other strategy I heard you say is creating, if it is causing tension with you and another person, because this could be anything, this could be spouse, this could be kids, this could be friends, um, a friend, yeah. if you had a friend planning a trip and you're normally logistics, right? Um, anyway, that would just be like, okay, wait a minute, right? So having that balance of, okay, this, I'm going to hand over the the role for another person because it's their job or whatever they're they want to turn and then just literally letting yourself choose not to care about some yeah. of the details that you would have handled better that's, that's right golden. that is really that and i think that's the other piece of a recovering micromanager is that once you can carve out these places where you actually do well and function well, there is a real, and people respect it. Whereas most people do not respect micromanagement when it's under, when it's overdone or under the rubric of micromanaging. But once it becomes a skill and other people respect it, you, something changes where you can, I can say, you know what, you want to plan this vacation? I would love it. And, I can actually release myself from, from the judgment, right? So there, that, that's when you know you're in recovery. When you're sitting there and you're holding on real tight and watching somebody just like do something different than the way you would do it or full on screw it up, right? You might as well, with all that tension, just be doing it yourself. Right. So that that's not what I consider recovery. You know, you've gotten there when you can just let somebody plan a trip and you go along and you're like, yeah, that didn't work out. OK, that's that, a fun thing. that there's there's an ease to it. So the compulsive we're talking now about the compulsive aspects of micromanaging, taking it to too many points in your life, realize not realizing that there are you know, skills associated and certain um, times, you know, when you would, would do it, right? I think, I think a lot of times the parenting creates, at least it did for me, the parenting created an over, you know, it's like a, an excess management style, 
And I guess now that I'm out of that and I can pull back from it, uh, that's, that's my recovery, right? Because I no longer need to, you know, plan meals and snacks and what, you know, whatever it was, right? So it's given me a lot of time to, you know, to kind of look back on it. And, and a lot of my parenting looking back is why did I care? Why did I care? Um, that's, so that's, um, that is an important, um, aspect yeah. to micromanaging. Um, but I think we should talk about also like my daughter, you know, feels very micromanaged in her job by a, um, a, a boss who is not actually a good leader, right? Not everybody is a good leader. And when when you feel out of control as a person, that's when you start to try and control other people. Right. And that's really where I think the damage to both parties is done. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you lose control over people when you micromanage and the compulsion is to micromanage more. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a real downward. I'm sensing two kind of categories then of micromanaging as we're discussing it. There's micromanaging based on insecurities, which might be the case of, of her boss. And then there's micromanaging based on just this really unusual skill set or strength base that causes that person to realize that they're the best at doing that job. And they have a really hard time pretending that they're not (laughs) right. So in your daughter's case, it makes me wonder since it's obviously to, you know, to adults interacting I mean, if it were me, I think I would want to have some sort of a conversation, maybe away from the general area. Maybe it's, you know, can we just have coffee or something like that and just say, hey, I noticed that I feel like you're getting in the way of me doing my best work and I want to do my best work for the benefit of you. Part of my job as your employee is to make you look good. And I, it seems like maybe I haven't done enough for you to trust me. But can we try something out for the next week? Can we, you know, can we experiment with it going this way and be super specific? It could be if it is based on insecurity that they're relieved, right? That they're like, oh, my God, yes, thank you. But I really how how you can show me that you've got this is this, this and this. And they may not even have thought about that level of realness and authenticity Um, and openness in that conversation. And that's normal in corporate, right? Where there isn't, there's a lot of pretending, right? There's a lot of, um, a lot of pretending to self, let alone pretending to others. So, um, but the insecurity one, that's so big because the best way that um, somebody that is competent and confident in a job for, for valid objective reasons the best way to get somebody to, to back off and to give your, get your space to do your job is to earn their trust. And there are some individuals, some leaders, some bosses that they're incapable of trusting another person for whatever reasons they've, and I always, well, I don't know, I don't want to say always, but what I often find is that person doesn't trust themselves, right? They don't trust themselves, but they don't trust others. And that goes in the line of infidelity, micromanaging too, um, those, you know, really, I think very dangerous relationships and harmful very relationships. Jealous people tend to, oh, like, and I yeah. need to, you know, they need to check their phone. Um, my uh, youngest one has a really good friend. Um, and I just, oh, this kid, I just, I mean, if I had a son, I'd, I wish it were him. I just adore this kid. 
Um, and he has to turn over his phone regularly to this girlfriend so that, so that he, she knows that he's not cheating on her. And I'm just like, Oh, what are you doing with her? <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but anyway, you know, that's, there are some people that would never put up with that, but he is. So there must be something going on there too. But anyway, yes. the micromanaging part is it's, uh, oh, Jill, I, I remember, oh, this is kind of, this is kind of cool to remember this. I was in, I think I was in college and I was walking through the, the mall doing some Christmas shopping. We had just gotten done with finals and I was like, okay, now I can get my Christmas shopping done. And there was a woman with probably her son. She was so polished and so put together, maybe forties or fifties. She was just she knew how she looked her best and she felt very confident and comfortable in herself. So first I noticed her, <laughs> I noticed what I think is her son. I don't, I mean, I don't know if he was working on dreads or he just hadn't watched his hair in a long time, but he was just, he was very much the opposite of her. You could tell that she wasn't trying to micromanage him, right? There was something so um, disparate about what I saw in them. And she's just like walking confidently next to her son. You could tell I didn't sense any insecurities of like, Oh, don't look at him. You know, he doesn't represent me. I felt such ownership that he's being him and she's being her. And there was that just really went into my brain of that. I, if I have kids, cause I never wanted to have kids. We, we didn't think we would, but maybe even an auntie role, but I, I wanted to be that. And then the little kids at the store and they're totally mismatchy, you know, the little two or three year old. And you can tell she picked out her whole outfit. It's a lot of crazy patterns and prints going on and just, you know, shoes that don't match and stuff. I always, when I saw that as a bit of a control freak, looked at that mom going, I want to be you because she looks so happy and you're letting her be her versus the type of mom of, like, no, 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 you can't wear that. We're going out, right? You represent me. You don't understand, right? So that was such a good, like, okay, this doesn't matter. And I've had my kids at various ages say to me, why do you care what I do with my hair? And I'm yes. like, that's true. Why do I care? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the, that's the theme of this, of this conversation is, it's not even why do I care? It's do I care? Do like, I have to care? Do I care? Like it's, it's this, because the brain will always give you a reason why you should care about something, right? That's not your business. Um, but it's, it's even just reminding yourself, like, I really don't care about this. There's something that's telling me I do or should, but I really don't. And I like the way you said it before, right? So everything here in this realm is, a du is dualistic, right? It's a double-edged sword. So when you're doing micromanaging, just to, you know, harp on the buckets for a second, there is this, look at what your skills are, where you're really functional. That's one aspect where you, you, you can pull yourself out. But the other side of micromanaging, and so that's coming at it from this skill-based thing. The other aspect of it where a lot of the micromanagement comes from and the kind we rebel against most is this lack of skill set, right? Also causes micromanaging. So one has skill, one doesn't. Both of these things 
cause micromanaging. It's very, very interesting. And so when you come across someone who is your boss, who you've had those conversations with, for instance, so my daughter has had many conversations, she finally got to the understanding that in a weird way, she was trying to micromanage her micromanaging mm -hmm. boss, right? So what she opted to do was get take herself out of the equation entirely. And sort of, it's what my husband always says. He's like, assume good intent, assume good intent. So she got herself to this position where she was actually able to not be so reactive, viscerally reactive and offended by that micromanagement. And that created changes in her because as you and I always talk about, the only one we really have any say in, in the behavior of is our own. So she realized she could continue on a daily basis to be almost assaulted, abused, and you know, insulted by the level of micromanagement that was coming in. She could also sort of stay in this anger toward that person and sort of this standoff, which made her days quite long. Or she could just say, look, this person is trying to help me through trying to help themselves. They can't help themselves. I see that now. And as a result, it's sort of like, I don't really have to, I don't have, I, she's almost like, I don't have to get involved in it. It could come in a lot of times. She doesn't even respond, but it's not even passive aggressive anymore. It used to be right. But even the passive aggression for her is out. She could just, it's almost like she doesn't notice it anymore. She wouldn't even call it micromanaging. She just, you know, it's like, that's her way. That's just her way. It's, and she doesn't take it personally. I think that's the other thing. You know, our knee jerk reaction to micromanaging is it feels disempowering and we do um, react to disempowerment our whole world is reacting to disempowerment right now, right? And it's a very strong reaction. But understanding that you can't be disempowered, regardless of what anybody's doing, which again is our message here through all of our podcasts, right? Realizing that you can't be disempowered. This isn't a reflection on you. This basically has nothing to do with you. That's the beauty. <sighs> nothing to do with you and you don't have to analyze their psyche no i, I don't know why that matter it doesn't matter yeah i don't have mental real estate on it oh, this is so beautiful jill this i thank you for that extra with that whole situation because you're right there are there are ways when somebody is being micromanaged it's so easy to take it personally and some do that more than others some don't take almost anything personally um, and others do. And it's like, wait, why, you know, do I need to, is, is this about me or is that just how they are? Right. And it could be that somebody could analyze and say, okay, well, that micromanager, no, they don't micromanage these other people. Well, who knows how long they've worked with? I mean, what else is going on there? Do they know them in a different way? Do they know them outside of work? It still doesn't mean that, that you need to overreact there when there's an overreaction and you, 
the, the dynamic starts to plug into you energetically where it's draining and hard and, you know, sufferable. That's where it's like, okay, your strategy is perfect. What else can I, how else can I choose to respond here so that I'm not turning into a version of me that I don't like in this situation, right? And we are tougher, I think, than we realize. Now, I'm obviously not saying anyone to stay in an abusive situation. Try not to apply corner cases audience here. Right. But yeah. in a normal, healthy kind of like, no, this can work as an employee or boss or, or you know, two partners or spouses or, you know, mother, mother, daughter, father, child, whatever. There's so many options for how you can be you in that dynamic. And when we lose that sense of choice and sense of authority, and sometimes it does take the other person pointing out, like, why do you care? It's my hair. Yeah. <laughs> why do you yes. care that I want four walls painted all four different colors and you think they don't match? Yeah. <laughs> why do you care? <laughs> it's my bedroom. You know what I mean? That's a good question. Here, right? So there's such a sense of, okay, yes, this isn't how I would do it. And let's see how this goes. Maybe it won't drive me as crazy, <laughs> right? Maybe yeah. making that person happy with something that is pretty innocent and isn't going to hurt anybody isn't that big of a deal. Maybe what they wear to the store doesn't matter so much. Luckily, I was never that mom, right? But this whole opportunity that all of us have to really reflect on, is it, is it, are we trying to make it personal about us? And are we making an unfortunate situation even harder by how we're interpreting it, responding to it, allowing it to affect us? Right? Yeah, that's perfect. Because if you go, see, I like that you brought in sort of the energetic, you know, domino effect of this. Because what people don't understand, and I think that there are people who are energetically sensitive, is that if somebody is coming at you as a micromanager, let's say in your job, your boss is coming at you and is micromanaging you. What you're feeling is that person's insecurity. But the way as an intuitive or an empath or whatever, you feel that person's insecurity, you don't know that that's what's coming at you. You think it's yours. And so your response is, there must be something wrong with me if this person is seeing this in me. That's that's a misinterpretation on top of monkey dust and fairy farts. Like all of that is wrong, right? What you should be looking at is, okay, this person is, is micromanaging me. There's an insecurity there. So the energy that's coming off that person is insecure, afraid something's not going to go right. That's their fear. We don't need to embody that fear. We can just, you know, sort of recognize and sort of stop it at the gate rather than perpetuate it. And then by definition, if we take it on, we're going to share it. We're going to then whoever's working for us, or we're going to take it home to our families, whatever it is that keeps going until somebody stops it. Right. So for you, so what you're saying is like, if the energy is coming in, you can recognize that energy, but don't own it. Right. Don't, don't, let it go into an insecure bucket in you. You have an insecure bucket. We all have them, but don't activate it. Right. And then what, another thing that, you know, my daughter, we practiced through this um, thing is to flip that around. We did, and this is a really good exercise for a lot of things, but we like, we always said, 
find what's right, right? Turn an insult into a compliment. And so in a, lo a lot of ways, if somebody's micromanaging you and you look at it and you're like, okay, this person is trying to help me. There's the assumed good intent. This person is trying to help me. So I'm going to thank them for the help and the care and the time that they're spending giving me tips and training me, right? You offer that kind of thank you. So a stupid example, when I'm walking around with my husband, I do go a little brain dead and I walk into traffic because I kind of rely on him to keep me, I don't know. I don't know why it is. When I'm by myself, I'm a totally functionally human being. When I'm with him, I just look like a, a wandering lunatic sometimes. And he's like, Jill, how do you exist when I'm not with you? I'm like, well, I let you take care of me when I'm walking with you. But then it started to happen where every time I'm walking with him, he's like, don't walk into the bike lane. Don't, you know, Jill, be careful of, there's a curve coming up. And I'm like, oh my God, like what, what's going on here? So I would get pissed at him. I'm like, you think I don't know there's a curve there? But really what he's doing when I backed off of just being so angry that he was treating me like such an infant, which I kind of asked for, um, I was just like, he's trying to help me. He's trying to be thoughtful, right? He's not trying to say, Jill, because I think you're an idiot, you, you know, I'm telling you where the curb is, right? That would be ridiculous. I'm married to this man. So it took me a little while to stop being so reactive. But now when he says, Jill, be careful of the curb, I'm like, oh, thanks. And that's the end of it. But it's so weird how we've, fight. It's like babies fight sleep, right? And then you're there like, why did I ever fight this? I love it. And then the next day it happens all over again. So there's this, when somebody's micromanaging you, give them a little honor. Just if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And it's totally fine. And then, you know, go to ignoring them or whatever, but try to look at what's right in what they're doing. Try to find, you know, just try to find something right. And a thank you, a compliment, even if they're spending a lot of time on you. It may not be the time you want, but clearly somebody who's micromanaging you is giving you a lot of attention. Thank them for the attention. Mm -hmm. That's happens. good. I, that's so good. And I've walked, I walked in downtown areas a lot. You know, we've been in various big cities together and I've never seen you like almost walk into traffic. You're normally the one that's like, okay, no, we're paying attention. <laughs> so I know that you have that Jill, but I get it. If, if you have somebody there that's so good at that and you just want to enjoy the conversation and you guys walk a lot in your city. So yeah. Um, this, this whole idea that it doesn't, that you don't have to care or that you can recreate a response, right? You can experiment with different ways that you're responding is so big, right? Because all of us probably have someone in our life that we, that we at least feel that they're micromanaging us, whether they are or not, right? We have choices in how we respond to that, how we let it bother us, how we let it affect us and get in the way of us being a version of ourselves that we like best, Right. So I can just imagine people saying, but it drives me crazy, but it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to drive you crazy, right? Um, you, can, you can experiment with a version of you that maybe doesn't care as much. And I like this idea that we all have a lot of layers 
and a lot of different, almost like pie slices, right? There's a slice of you that's very annoyed and very reactive about what they're doing. But what about the other slices? Is It's almost like being curious. Is there a version of me that is not annoyed by this? Right? Can I create a version of me that that isn't bothered by this and may actually see that there might be benefit in this, right? That that they do know something I don't know, right? So for those of us that are micromanagers, I have another strategy I want to offer. What is something that they are better at than you are? Because I think for those of us that tend to lean more towards overconfidence, we we miss the we miss the part that they're yes, we're good at, you know, a lot of things or a few things really well, whatever. But there's they are that way too. There are things that they are better at than you are. So that's very humbling for somebody that is arrogant or narcissistic or overconfident or whatever. But there's that part of that, yeah, like, I'm not as good at this, right? And it softens you, right? And then in whatever partnership or relationship that is, you can take advantage of that, right? Not, oh, that sound, that could be misinterpreted. You can put to use their strengths and your your lack of strengths and vice versa. And then it's great. So I I think examples are good here too. Um, I've had my own business for many years, right? But when I got my MBA and when I got my finance degree and that kind of stuff, they don't teach you personal finance, right? Or at least I didn't take those classes. So I had this business was more successful than I thought it would be sooner than I thought it would be. And I didn't set aside enough for taxes. <laughs> and my husband is great at that stuff. I mean, he's so good. So eventually when there was two years in a row of honey and he's like, God, you like, you don't, I mean, where's the money for the taxes? I'm like, Wait, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, it wasn't that I didn't know that. I mean, but I, I clearly wasn't reacting as I knew it, as if I knew it, the evidence was there. So yes. um, anyway, he was awesome and we figured it out. But then from that point forward, he said, do you want me to, to look at your numbers like four mm-hmm. times a year, every month or whatever, and make sure that you have, and he tried to give me great strategies. Okay. When you look at how much you made that month, because I have an accountant, Take 50% and just pull it to the side and just leave it over there. And that's, and put it in a separate savings account, you know, whatever. I know how to do all that stuff. And then you don't have to worry about it. And I haven't had any kind of accidents since then. Um, And it feels good because I'm good at running the business and operating the business and creating new services and all those things, but I'm not good. And I don't like the part about, okay, now I, now 50% to taxes. I mean, it's just like, and I'm exaggerating. That was a little cushion, but you know, we are in a higher tax bracket, so it is a lot. Um, anyway, it is what it is. Yeah. But anyway, so he, when he benefited, cause he's great at that, he got to see more how successful I was, which felt good too. Anyway, it was a win-win situation. I was very humbled in the moment of Wait, I don't have enough those years. Oh my god. No, it's a really good it's a really good thing to think about because I think that when you go into micromanagement mode, the brain uses it too much. Right? It gets some it gets its hands on something and it's like, well, let's use it over here and let's use it over here. And before you know it, it's it's kind of taking over every aspect of your life where it doesn't it doesn't need to. Mm-hmm. Um, so the brain I think overuses this this program in areas that it shouldn't flood over into and what you're really pointing out and and you're pointing it out in the good way is notice other people's strengths but what happens is when we're micromanaging like that all we're looking at is other people's deficits 
right? We're looking at where they don't match up. We're not looking at where they do. And, and so I, I love that softening where you can then come back to, wait, I'm overusing my micromanaging. It's clouding this whole person, right? Who isn't good at their finances or who isn't good at making their bed, right? But it, it, it almost throws the whole person out as an ineffectual, disorganized person, right? It, it's, it's a very interesting, you know, we tag them, we label them and we're like done with you. So it's important. And I think that's what, that's the fear that um, people have who are micromanaged by their bosses. It's like, you don't see my skills, right? You don't see what I'm good at. I once had, you know, so my daughter, when she was younger, she couldn't read for whatever reason, but she could write, but then she couldn't read her own handwriting. So it was just very interesting, like no man's land. So it's now second grade and the teacher pulls me over at the end of the year. And she said, and no, in, in the, you know, in the um, review, the teacher student review, whatever. And she said, your daughter can't read. She can't do this. She doesn't know this. She doesn't know that. And I just looked at her. I'm like, you don't know my daughter at all. You have no idea. I just heard everything you said. And it is clear to me that you stopped at, she cannot read and you never looked for her strengths. You never, she's a writer. She's been writing. She's an artist. She like the teacher never went there. She dismissed my daughter entirely. And then the next year I said to the, you know, the superintendent, I'm like, I am picking my teacher next year because this has been a veritable shit show. And I wanted her with the teacher who was known for writing. And that mm -hmm. teacher day one told my daughter, go to the library and pick out a book you're going to read. My daughter has not read a book. Um, it's third grade now. She had tutoring. She had everything. Couldn't get it together. She picks out this book. It's so thick. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be rough. It was like the Bartimus trilogy. It had big words. It was, it was a big deal. She read the book. This teacher was not constrained by what my daughter couldn't do. Every other teacher that my daughter had was nervous about how her lack of reading would reflect on them or it was a new teacher, or it did, whatever it was. She read that book. She never looked back. She graduated college. She is highly successful. And she didn't read until she was in the third grade. Wow. So it's this interesting dismissal, how we dismiss people. It, it's, it's brutal. Micromanaging is brutal. It is not benign. I want to also point out that this is a great example because some people could say you were micromanaging. You went to the superintendent and told them, I'm going to pick my child's teacher next year, right? In many ways, that could be considered micromanaging, but it was for the advocacy of your child and it wasn't meant to be at the expense of anyone. It's just that, hey, I've got a special case here, right? And I want, to, I want my child to have a year, at least one year since last year with somebody that that can recognize that they have strengths alongside the areas that they're behind or whatever, not, not up to, you know, the standards. Not up to standards. That's but if you don't do that, 
If yeah. we don't do that, we can have a very, um, what would you call it? Um, functional employee. Yeah. And this is more than employees. This is anything. It's everybody, but it's everybody. But we could actually demoralize in such a way that they lose confidence in their abilities. Yes. Yes. We, I I do. uh, Oh my God. This is, I love where we are right now in this conversation. Um, This happens in marriages. This happens in dating relationships. This happens in friendships. This happens in, um, adult child to parental relationships. There is so much imposing of you need to be good at what I need you to be good at, or you need to be good at everything I'm good at. And there's this complete lack of awareness of what they are good at that you're not good at, or what they are good at that you that you don't care about, right? So that's the example with your child, that those things that, 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 that your daughter was really good at wasn't on that teacher's radar. I mean, it just... I know I'm idealistic. I completely own this and I don't think it's a weakness, but wouldn't it be amazing if there was a system where a child that had, you know, super strengths in one area or even just solid strengths in one area, it doesn't have to be, you know, super interstellar kind of stuff. Anyway, this is their strengths. These are their, this is the, where they need more, more help. Let's put them with a teacher that is good at helping and wants to help, has a heart to right. help. And the compassion, well, that's somebody, that's somebody, exactly, somebody, but wouldn't that be cool if it were a system, right? And I know I'm being idealistic, but that would be so neat because then, then those teachers are more matched up, you know, with those that need it. Um, is it okay if we go a little bit over today? Yes. There was a similar, I was a witnessing parent um, coming out of a kindergarten end of year review. I had just come out of the kindergarten doors kind of faced each other and I was in this youngest class with Georgia. And then um, she was Miss uh, Joanne Stevens. Oh, it doesn't matter her name. Anyway, uh, her, she teacher came out or the parents came out of her child's review. And I knew the mom and I knew her son. And she came out and I was like, I was like, oh, how'd it go? And she goes, he's not, he's not reading. I mean, like, and it was kindergarten, right? Um, he's, he's behind in this, he's behind in that. You could just tell she's so demoralized. And that wider version of my Jill just kicked right in. And I said, Joanne, what is he great at? And she just stopped for a minute. And she said, he does math at a fifth grade level. This is a kindergartner. And I was like, and I just looked at her and I got teary and she got teary. And I said, I bet that teacher didn't even ask you about that. Right. That didn't come up in that review. And she goes, Nope. And I said, Amy, he's going to be okay. (laughs) You know, and we both kind of laughed and then we went on, but it was, I was so, I felt so blessed to be there in that moment and ask her that question. Right. Yeah. Right. Because there are so many teachers that, you know, they got a lot on their plate and they're not always looking out for what is great in our kids. And what I see with some parents is that, that system, the systemic they're behind in this filters over to the parenting, especially if there are maybe less confident parents or less confident people that they don't have the presence in themselves to go, okay, I know you guys in the system think they're not good at this, but I also know they're great at this and great at that and great at that. And you guys may never see that, right? So then, then the child isn't screwed up by all of the, all forces thinking they're bad at this and not even recognizing the composing music, you know what I mean? Or they're, yeah, they're the making music. They are. 
Yeah, or making new games in the neighborhood, you know, with the neighborhood kids are literally creating new games to play. I mean, that's so, amazing. So that's impressive. So, so my daughters, you know, they, they come out of college and they, they have all the tech possible, right? And then they go into companies that are behind on their tech, you know, just very like old stuff. And so they're writing programs and they're doing runarounds and they're, and the people who they work for are like, how'd you learn how to do that? And they're like, it's 2022. How do you not know how to do that? Right. So, so these kids in a weird, funny way are just, just from a tech standpoint, their productivity, they're upstaging, you know, people who are way senior to them, right? Because they're, they don't, they don't have the skills that these, that these kids bring. And it's just, it's very interesting to see how, you know, so my daughter for a long time, you know, one of them just felt like, okay, I can't get with this tech stuff. It was kind of hard for her, but she ended up, however she was taught, she would, she didn't have confidence in it. But the minute she goes to work, she sees how much she knows. She never had the realization that that was a skill. It's, it's so interesting how we miss our own skill set, either because there's just nothing we're pursuing in that space or other people aren't seeing it in us and don't, you know, don't kind of nurture and culture it. Um, so it is important to always don't throw yourself out. Always be looking for your skill set, right? Always be looking for what you're good at. We live in a society where we're like, what are you bad at? Let's work on that. Why? That I never understand. You have a, a God-given skill. Why are you working on something you're bad at? It's so mind blowing to me. We don't all need, yeah, that's a, that's an assumption that, I mean, Westernized societies we're definitely making is no, we all need to be at least this good at this. And there's a yeah. part of me going, but do we though? Do we really? I don't know. That's a radical experiment, <laughs> but yeah, and I, I know I wasn't willing to play that. What think was that? The, think about the emotion quotient of what is the benefit? I won't say nefarious of keeping people focused on what they're not good at. Oh, that, I mean, and that, I mean, my heart just gets right sucked into conspiracy theories of, you know, repressing humanity. And... I feel like we have missed the ball, right? To have everybody focused on their, what they're not good at raises a culture of insecurity, jealousy, you know, it, it, there's just nothing good that's going to come out of focusing on your flaws. Hmm. And then we do that so we're not cocky, so that we don't run around liking ourselves too much, <laughs> um, so that we don't offend people by, with our talents that other people who are not as good as us, I'm just not sure what our, what our cultural goal is here. Yeah. yeah. It's not working in our favor. That's fair. I'm noticing that um, I am 
I am being drawn in my awareness towards those that are, because yes, there's there's folks that are drawn to micromanaging from insecurity. I do feel like there are the other, another type of folks, and this is yeah. where I resonate more, that yes, I don't, I'm not really an insecure type person. That's not really my thing. Um, if I, if there's something I don't know, I don't freak out about it. I'm just like, hey, I'm not good at that. Right. But I had to, I had to create that Jill because there was another part of me that was so overemphasizing the things that were, that I was naturally good at that didn't take me much time. And I was befuddled by why it took so many other people so much time to do things and they still weren't good at it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, God, they could try all day and they're still not good at this. What the heck is going on here? You know? So I think for those that lean more towards overconfidence, the, I think the really important thing to think of, to keep in mind is number one, what are you not good at? <laughs> right? Because yes, if their identity not. has been based on, I am good at things, you're not good at everything, right? I'm not mm -hmm. good at everything. And I'm a better Jill. I'm a nicer Jill. I'm a better wife. I'm a better mom. I'm a better friend. I'm a better everything by acknowledging, not by beating myself up, but just, yes, these are my strengths. And I, I am quicker, better, faster, whatever it's uh, those things. And, you know, all, it doesn't matter because there's a lot of things I'm not good at. So yes. then in harmonious relationships, you're, you're aiming towards, okay, where can I offer my strengths? Where can yeah. I not impose my strengths that they're supposed to also be your strengths? Where yes. can I look for other people's strengths where I don't have strengths, right? And that has created such better relationships. And I am a, I'm literally a nicer Jill because yes. when somebody isn't good at something, there isn't a part of me going, oh, seriously, like you can't do that. You know what I mean? And it's, I'm not saying like I did that. Like, <laughs> you were very patient with me with my tech failure. <laughs> Sincerely compassionate with your with your tech oh, challenge, my so friend. So right? Bad. So it's and that's sincere, right? I but I had to make that Jill. I didn't have her before Jill. I didn't have oh, a version no. of Jill that could be compassionate towards somebody else's um, just area of conflict in their life, and I I do have sincere compassion towards those that are unlucky with technology, that's got to be hard. Yeah, it's brutal. But I think I think what you're saying is, and look, this is always the goal, is that there's a self-awareness aspect to this, right? And I think you get to that self-awareness aspect by doing what we're kind of espousing. You start asking yourself questions. Where am I not good at something, right? It's, it's never meant to take you down. It's always sort of in, in the service of compassion, right, for, for other people or just to, it's not nice. It doesn't feel good to your point to be judging other people or be frustrated with, with other people, especially if they're people that you care about and you like, because a lot of times they get hit with your, with your shrapnel. And so I do think, though, that, you know, also a theme running through the podcast is this like don't be afraid to look at yourself, you know, and be real with yourself and to have your back, but also when you're doing well and when you're not doing well, right? There's just this, there's just this ease of being with yourself that is very hard for people, I think. And so it's like, let's not open that can of worms. I don't want to open what I'm not good at. Let me just focus on, you know, on the things that I do well. Um, but then, you know, we, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a self-awareness piece. It is a self-awareness piece. And I do think that the more self-awareness that you, you can bring um, to anything, you just like yourself better. You really so do good. just like yourself better. And as a result of liking yourself better, you just invariably are kinder. And you treat other people um, with with more respect. So it is it is a trickle-down theory, and it really does all start with us, right? And how we treat ourselves, but we can't lop off, you know, whole parts of ourselves of, you know, and pretend they're not there and be self-aware. That could, that could be a great kind of take home exercise that people, that people try out is a, a good old fashioned list, a list of at least three things that you're really good at. And at least three things that you know, you're not good at. And I think those that are insecure, those that lean more towards insecurity may have a hard time coming up with a list of at least three things that they're good at. And those that are overconfident may have a hard time and struggle with three things that they're not good at. And both of those challenges are probably healthy and yeah. self-loving and self-softening, right? Um, it it breaks soft. my heart. Softening, right? Softening it just feels... it, it does break my heart when, I mean, because I'm at 52 now, I'm so aware of a version of me that is overly critical towards other people. And well, I wouldn't have done that. And, you know, doesn't, you know, and now the, the softer version of Jill, I can literally smile when I'm walking through the house and I recognize that, oh yeah, that person, I'm not going to say who, I'm not going to name names, but somebody has been in here because I can tell every cab that they were in because it's open. Oh, and that's yeah. when they got their spoon, the drawer still open. Right. And they, and now I, I literally just smile and go, so, because it takes nothing. I like the cabinets and doors closed, right? So I close them, right? Yeah. And there's probably yeah. things that they could similarly do for me. Oh, I could tell Joe was here. <laughs> she, exactly. you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, what, whatever it was that I, that I didn't do like they would do and their way being noticeably a better system. It's all okay, right? We're not, if we can get to the point where we're not asking ourselves to be perfect, we stop asking other people to be perfect. And that, that is such a better way to go through humanity. And there are opportunities to micromanage where it's advocacy and where it's wanting, it's wanting win-win situations for everybody. And there's a form of micromanaging that unintentionally or intentionally tears other people down either slowly or quickly. And nobody wins in that. Nobody. 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 And there is no compromise, by the way, in this. I like that you brought mm -hmm. up the win-win because there is no, like, you know, it's like you can't be, like, a little pregnant, right? The, the micromanaging situation, there is no appeasing that situation when it's in its, when, it, when you're in the throes of it. There's nothing that you could do to appease a micromanager. It will go on to something different. There, that's that's sort of a you know an abyss you think if I just do this and I just do that then they'll stop you know then everything will be fine that's not the case micromanaging is not about what you're micromanaging it's that you're micromanaging right so there's really no solution that's external the solutions are really coming from the things that we're kind of suggesting because a compulsion to micromanage will just be a bouncing ball to the next thing. Yeah. It doesn't stop itself when you've 
when you've finished the action that you thought was being micromanaged. It just never stops. That's true. So that's something to really take on board there. There's no fixing micromanaging from the outside in. None. And let me put another set of words on that. To somebody that is a micromanager, let's take the example of a mom that feels like they do everything in the household for everyone and more. There, there's probably a lie in there. There's a deception of the, in their brain there of, yes, I'll get to relax when all this stuff is to my standards or when everybody's been taken care of. Nobody will ever be fully taken care of because there will always be another need that crops up. And probably nothing will ever be to your standards unless nobody's home and they don't come back. <laughs> right? <laughs> because your standards are maybe impossible and unachievable and those can be relaxed, right? So it's an entire redo of that micromanager that says, you know what, maybe, maybe I can be okay if the cabinet doors are left open. Maybe I'm never going to get that person to close these freaking cabinets and the drawers after they leave the kitchen. You know, yeah. maybe, 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 right? Maybe, probably. And when I can let go of the need to control and micromanage all of these people, maybe I get to be a better version of me, right? Because those, yes. those parents are driving everybody crazy. They're not, and this is, this is the part that does break my heart. They're mm -hmm. missing out. Yeah. They're missing out on enjoying themselves in their life. They're missing out on what is awesome about all of those people that, that they they can't even see because they're so blindly obsessed with what they're not doing right. Or they haven't learned how to do this yet. They may never learn how to do that. If they have a son or a daughter, whoever, that's a messy kid, they may always be messy and you may not get to fix that behavior. Right. That that you don't get to be them. You only get to be you. And when that realization is allowed, there is there is that softening and there's the oh shit moment of, oh, my God. Right. Because there are parents that that are just wired in this way of I'm responsible for everybody. It's my job to make them into better humans. You get a part of that job. And then there's the other part of they get to do that. They get to be the actual human and you don't get to control that when they're young, when they're old, any of it. And I think that that's where we end up in trouble, right? It's because we assume that we're micromanaging because other people are doing X, Y, and Z. We don't see it as our own out of control yeah. issue, right? It's and a we don't, so that's, that's, that's the thing that I think gets people in trouble is that, Everybody around here is waiting for somebody else to change so that they could feel better. Mm -hmm. That's never going to happen. And by design, that's never going to happen. Yeah. Right? It, that can't be the answer. It has to come from you. Right? So recognize it as a compulsion. Stop justifying or rationalizing it based on other people's behaviors and, and take ownership of it. And... And really get sober about how it's ruining your relationships with people, mm -hmm. right? And it's ruining your relationship with yourself, not to mention running you ragged. Yeah. yeah. Right? So that's just, you know, a little radical honesty with yourself. And it goes a long way into sort of, you know, moving you into the category of a recovering 
micromanager. And just as a little joke in my family, when I start to micromanage people, we call it M&Ms. It's the micromanaging. So it's like, oh, Jill, the M&Ms. You know, like just everybody, it's a little playful term for it. So that, um, yeah. So do that with it as well. You know, kind of defang it a little bit. I love it. We're going to talk more about this, I think, with more strategies in the parenting conversation. I'm guessing we'll have more than one episode on parenting. There's so much... um, so much to love about that role and so many great strategies. I know Jill that you and I both have that we're really excited to offer parents. Yeah. So we have more (laughs) for the, especially for the parents that are like, wait, how do I, how do I not, how do I not care about my kids room being a mess? Yeah. I know. I think the parenting will have to be a series, you know, so we're not there yet, but we'll have to probably do at least three or four podcasts on it. And it might be, almost like a separate series that we do. Yeah. A sub series. Yeah. A sub series. I like that, but we covered a lot micromanaging. I I love it that we covered it from so many sides. We covered it from the one being micromanaged. We covered it from the micromanager. We addressed the layers of insecurity that lead to micromanaging. We covered it from the layer of overconfidence that can lead to micromanaging Um, overconfidence slash arrogance. Right. Um, I love and that. Just general so just and general, right? Like there's overuse of micromanaging, but then it does come from, I, I got some skills. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's faceted. It's multifaceted. It's very good. Oh, Jill. Thank you. I'm glad we did right, this today. It's a wrap. All right, everybody, if you enjoyed this, thank you so much for hitting like or providing a positive review. Thank you for sharing it with at least two friends. Um, For any of you that your brain was like, I didn't hear anything new. I bet you did. I bet you did hear something new. I know you didn't know the example that I thought my boss was uh, a sloth and didn't deserve his job. I know you didn't know that. That was a long time ago. (laughs) Anyway, um, but there is a lot here. Let yourself listen to it, possibly in audio and then in video or vice versa. If you really feel like you like there's a lot here, there is a lot here. And I know from um, my own experiences with people's brains, if they think they got it all from video and then they listen to the audio version, they get something. They get totally new things. This is a very uh, multi-layered kind of experience. So I hope you liked it. And thank you if you. Yeah, I want to share it. Thanks, Jill. Bye.